everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, as always, my wonderful co-host, Nicole Davis. How are you doing on this fine evening? Could be better. Could be better. I had oral surgery yesterday, so I'm in a little bit of a little bit of pain. Not terrible, but I am going to I'm going to push through because, by God, I love our listeners, all 12 of them. Hey, so. there's more than that. We, we've, been getting our, we've been getting our numbers. And I know. We have, we have of scores of listeners now. We yes. We legitimately say that we have scores of listeners. We do. Well, I, I'm happy you're powering through an oral illness of sort. Not, not an illness, <laughs> okay. but an oral surgery. You're like the Kanye West of this. And I'm gonna, uh, Oh, God, it. please don't. I'm, I'm going to bring this back together don't. because on his first record, Kanye released no. an album a song called Through the Wire, no. which he wrapped through no. a wire in his mouth because he had surgery. Uh, um, no, David, Lou Zader, you're not the Kanye West of our, of our group. Who are you? Thank God. Uh, that's a, oh boy, that is a great question. An existential one, really. I mean, I'd kind of want to be the John Legend right now, the one who tries to talk sense. But if that's not going to work out, then my new album drops on the, uh, the 14th. Yeah, nah, boy, Brett, I did not expect that question this early on. I thought you were just going to ask me how I'm doing, which that's a question I can attempt to answer. But who am I? Whew, that's some rough stuff. <laughs> well, some other rough stuff was the movie this week in terms of like, the grittiness and the darkness of it. New the Two is at the beginning of every rotation. Uh, that means... Uh, one of us gets to pick a movie that the other two had never seen before. Hence the name new to do. I saw this movie many, many times and David, Lu David Luzader and Nicole Davis had not. Uh, and it was an interesting watch for me going back to this movie. But before I announce the movie, I do want to announce next week's movie because we are going back around the wheel to Netflix roulette. That means all three of us spun the wheel to determine what we're going to watch on Netflix and uh, we then picked between the three different choices. That way we have a little bit of uh, we have a little bit of an option to gear away from things that would truly be a train wreck. Yeah, we're we going to be watching we get to The Gift. Uh, the Gift is with Jason Bateman, correct? That's correct. Yes. This is the 2015 movie called The Gift, not the one in Louisiana with Kate Blanchett. <laughs> so. that, I want to see that. Is that is, is that on Netflix? <laughs> I love. Kate I don't Blanchett. know if it is. It's uh, based on a John Grisham story. It's pretty good. Uh, I remember it as being entertaining. Yeah, I'd almost prefer but to see that. But we're that's gonna be not the one we're watching. <laughs> not the one we're watching. The Netflix gods have spoken, and we're going to be watching the gift. But this week, I spoke as the picker for New to Two, and I picked Grand Torino, uh, the Clint Eastwood movie that came out in two thousand eight. Retired auto worker and Korean war vet Walt Kowalski fills emptiness in his life with beer and home repair, despising the many Asian, Latino and black families in his neighborhood. Walt becomes a reluctant hero when he stands up to the gangbangers trying to force an Asian teen to steal Walt's treasured car. An unlikely friendship develops between Walt and the teen as he learns he has more in common with his neighbors than he thought. Um, this was supposed to be. Clint Eastwood's final acting role, at which point he would then maneuver strictly into directing. Um, but then Trouble with the Curve came out and that went out the window. But this would have been a great swan song, in my opinion, which is the reason I chose it. Um, and that's typically what we ask at the beginning of this is why somebody chose it. And I chose this just to be very brief, because while I don't always agree with Clint Eastwood, I think he's a fascinating artist. And I think he's an artist that has 
pushed himself to evolve into a very old age and still be making things that are different than what he's done before. And I think he did that very interestingly in this movie, because as the classic American dirty, hairy, gunslinging, angry man, he very easily could have made this movie in a very insensitive way. And I think it is surprising how for, I can I can see Nicole's giving me eyes, no. <laughs> but I think it is surprising that we actually do have a a cast that is of the ethnicity that they are supposed to be, that we actually see True. into a relatively realistic glance into what Hmong um, culture is like in America. And um, that I think is really cool. And I think now, it's a beautiful story. I think that before we get into a lot of this movie, uh, it should be said this movie was not written by Clint Eastwood. It was written by Nick Shank, I think is his name. Uh, and that according to him, that um, very little was changed about his script. Actually, according to him, nothing was changed about his script, that Clint Eastwood got the script and then filmed it exactly as written, with uh, really? the change being that it, it was no longer taking place in Minneapolis, but instead of taking place in Detroit. Um, right. That actually causes one of the issues I have with this movie. Yeah, but anyway, um, but, j- yeah. just to say, like before we, before we start, to, you know, if people want to dump on Clint Eastwood in this movie, I think there's only kind of a certain amount you can kind of do that before you the hit the wall of like acting stuff if you want to. Right, right. <laughs> I think that when it comes to the actual story and a lot of the screenwriting comes from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And he um, in this movie, uh, I have to imagine that Clint Eastwood just went to this screenwriter and was like. So how many times can I just use derogatory racial Asian slurs? And can you just get them in as much as possible? Also, because ones ones you're not familiar with. Let me say yeah, that off like the he's bat. He's inventing new new stuff going on in this movie. He's inventing new ways to be a racist old man in this movie. He is. And, um, uh, I think you I mean, guys for, just for, Yeah, for a lot of people <laughs> kind of Brett's age and a little bit more my age, hmm. just to, there's a certain word that starts with a G- Yep. That I have not, I, I know is a racial slur, but I have not heard very often. Oh, okay. But yeah, this uh, is not part of our, yeah, this is not part of at least mine and probably David's as well, like racial slur handbook. Of like no, you guys handbook. didn't watch as many episodes as, of MASH as I have. Yeah, I, like, I nothing you're saying here is something it's anyone not, within. I, do, I have to say, it is not one I've not heard the G word um, in person, but mm. I know it still gets used. Yeah. I'm sure. And uh, so what I really want to do with this movie uh, is I'd like to first break down into our discussion topics and then we can go a little bit broader because I know that, you know, we're all going to have some broad thoughts on this as a, a movie directed by a, uh, a, a guy who has a questionable record with with a lot of things to do with like race and tolerance and and how he tried to incorporate in this movie i'm sure nicole has thoughts on that as well um but why don't we start with our discussion topics that we do have outlined and the first one is um there's a lot of bad acting in this film this is something from david Uh, i think that's yeah is there um, but also that kind of is i think um part of this i would say is because all of the Hmong actors Except are like for one. first-time actors. One of them was not, but right. everybody well, yeah. else, this is their first movie. But Tao and Sue, yeah, I looked into their IMDb credits, and 
really kind of nothing before then and really kind of not a lot since. And I don't I don't no. want to say they were they were not the worst but there was some very kind of stilted acting that I felt in this movie. Yeah, I would say that's that's fair and I suspect that's at least that's partly a product of the script. Um I know that um B Vang who played uh Tao uh, was uncomfortable with some of the script, um, but he was told to, you know, just read it as it was written. Um, I know that Clint Eastwood is also kind of famous for being like a one or two take director because yeah. he gets he gets everybody home at five o'clock at the end yeah, of the day. They, they filmed this movie in thirty three days. It was scheduled for thirty five. Most yeah. movies take two months to film <laughs> right so you know and then it's most of the uh most of the Hmong roles were played by people who had not acted before mm-hmm. so you know they might have been there are other directors who might have worked with them and sort of coached them along and helped make their performances more natural but i don't think that was done yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, I would I would agree that that like the acting in this movie is not the worst, but could yeah. have been better. I and, thought the girl playing Sue did a really good job. Yeah, she did. Uh, she did fine. And there's times where the where Tao is doing a really good job. Yeah. Um, it's just there there are some scenes where I'm like, man, you are reading out of a script right now. You are just you are saying the lines as they are written. And yeah, there. I mean, I think there's kind of a combination there of Clint Eastwood, you know, okay, great. You said the lines. That's what we needed. Let's move on. But also like people who don't have a lot of experience on a set and could have benefited from maybe somebody, okay, well, why, why don't you try it this way? And, you know, giving them a, a few more takes to... Yeah to get a little more natural feel for the dialogue versus probably like maybe the first time they've said it, <laughs> at least with on set, you know, that's right. entirely possible. I did really like grandma though. Oh yeah. Grandma's yes. great. <laughs> Her name is Daisy when he's walking away with dog and oh my God, oh, guys, 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 <laughs> if, if, if anything happened to that dog, I would have, I would not be on this episode. I would protest. You felt like that was being telegraphed that something bad was going to happen to the dog. He had the dog in the car when he went to go talk to the, when he went to go quote unquote talk to some of the gang members. <laughs> and I'm like, no, something's going to happen to the dog. No. <laughs> oh. Named Daisy, which by the way is Daisy. the name of the puppy in John Wick. Oh, it's, <laughs> and it's also, it's Clint Eastwood's dog. Like in real life, that is his dog. Yeah, that's his real I dog. I love it. Oh my God, I did not know that. And let's talk about him a bit because I think what I, what I posted in our Slack and I think the best way I can describe how I feel with him in this movie is that it is the quintessential angry old man Clint Eastwood movie. Oh yeah. He, he literally says, get off my lawn. Yes. That, is <laughs> that was one of my notes. Script. It's like he's literally saying, get off my lawn. Old man, cranky old man saying, get off my lawn. This is... I watched it. I watched it with subtitles because Living I do that stereotype. often. And I and I've actually found that watching our movies with subtitles has oddly helped me 
because I kept little pieces of dialogue I sometimes miss. And very often it would just say growls. Because (laughs) he just turns to the camera and goes, and I, I think that's what I love about Clint Eastwood's character in this movie is that it's just so unapologetically Clint Eastwood. Um, And one of the aspects of his character and David put this in our docket and I'm sure it'll be a broad discussion is that there has been both criticism and rejected criticism of him being, you know, a quote unquote white savior in this film. And David put in our docket, if Eastwood is a white savior or is he a white savior? If the reason that so many things got worse in the first place is because of him, uh, does the role change if his character isn't white? I think these are really great discussion topics. Um, And I also think, for me, one thing I'll say very quickly is that when I first saw this movie, I was like, oh no, white savior. And then when I pondered on it, I realized like, it, I don't think it is because it is the journey of a kind of not a great guy. Um, finally, at least doing this good thing. Well, and I think it can be both at the same time. Perhaps, okay. yeah. Can I? Can I? I should just admit something here. I got really emotional about the end of this movie. It's sure. an intense movie. Like I almost, I felt like I might almost cry by the end of it. Just, I was so into the characters and everything that was happening. And when he's lying on the ground, like he'd made that sacrifice. And, you know, you had Daisy, a scene before, so sad that her master was walking away (laughs) from her, which really kind of primed me to be sad. I'm like, no, you're leaving your dog behind in this world, you bastard. Uh, it, I, I mean, it did like it, you know, I, I, from my perception of this movie, like, oh, you know, it's going to be, he stands up to some gangbangers, the gangbangers fight back. And then, and then there's this big finale where the old guy is taking them on and maybe he dies, but you know, he, he ends it by, by making sure everyone's okay. Cause he kills the gangbangers, but that's not what happens. And sure. it, it subverted kind of, I guess my expectations from eight years ago or nine years ago because this movie is almost 10 years old geez uh and i was kind of surprised and it kind of caught me off guard of what i was expecting in a good way yeah absolutely i i think the first time i saw this movie i was because there's multiple times in the movie where he pretends to pull out a gun and then actually pulls out a gun (laughs) um and he's certainly not shy to pull out a gun in this movie. And for those unfamiliar, if you listen to the program without watching the films, uh, after this gang who is uh, really terrorizing this family that he has become very close with, in particular, um, a young guy and a young woman, um, after they rape the woman and fire and shoot on the, the young guy's house, he decides that he needs to end this. And the only way he can end it, and the only way that they can find peace is if these gangbangers are put away for a very long time. And instead of going and killing them, which is really what the whole story alludes to, and you know, he has guns out and it looks like he's going to go, he actually just tricks the young guy into being locked in the basement while he goes and sacrifices himself by making these gangbangers think he has a gun when he, has, he doesn't have a gun. But he waits long enough to pretend like he's pulling a gun out until he can see that the whole neighborhood is watching because at the end of the movie, the cops say, you know, we've been trying like to this get time. There's witnesses. Yeah. Finally have witnesses. 
Um, and Clint Eastwood's character is smart enough to understand that. And, oh, and that's, jerker. and that's why, that's why to me, it kind of subverts that the white savior trope a little bit, because he's not saving them by virtue of like the white people are better. You know, he's making himself that sacrifice where it's like, I could have seen his character being a different race still with prejudices, still making that sacrifice by the end. Okay, yes, but that's that's starting from a different dynamic. You know, it's that would be the story of, you know, another minority in this country who has to deal with other things and figuring out where their um, biases come from and all of that. This is... This is the white guy, the old white dude, um, who is the most, I would, I would venture to say he's the most potent male in the movie. Um, you know, he's doing his super manly, gruff uh, Clint Eastwood thing. Um, to be fair, <laughs> it is Clint Eastwood. Yes. Um, and, and, and let's not forget the barber, but we'll continue to the barber. After. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he doesn't take any crap from anybody. He's almost 80, but he still stands up perfectly straight and right, living by himself house and his car and lives, you know, now that his wife has died, he lives by himself with his dog and drinks beer a lot. Um, and a really bad beer too. Uh, He's drinking all PBR. All PBR. Yep. And (laughs) so, but, and he's got all the guns and he's been to war and, you know, so he's, he's like the American stereotypical manly man, or at least the manly man of, of old uh, in America. Mm -hmm. And he is helping out this family where, um, you know, where this this community, the men are portrayed as uh, either absent, um, mm. in the case of the dad, uh, you know, the mother is, is widowed and raising her, her kids by herself. Uh, they are uh, impotent to protect or care for their families, or they are overridden by females. Uh, like Tao is, he's clearly bossed around by both his mom and his old and his sister. Uh, or the men in the community are criminals, and you know, so there are no like vital guys in their twenties who are stand-up members of the community. There are no guys in like. There are 40s who are organizing to try to figure out what to do about the gang problem in their neighborhood. It's this right. old white dude who's going to solve the problem in a stroke. Right, right. And I, and I, I definitely get what you're saying. I, as far as the character of Tao, yeah, I guess overridden by females. To, to, to me, it was he was a, a character who needed kind of someone to push him and yes ended up being you know the old white guy who was the one that was pushing him um, well, and he pushes him by 
by calling him by a derogatory, not racially derogatory, but an, an emasculating name, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a, there's a lot of really complicated stuff to this movie. Yes, yes. But I, am, I mean, I, there's racism, there's sexism, there's homophobia, there's all kinds of good stuff yes, in here. Yes, there is. And I mean, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here in the sense of that I think this is a, overall, this is an extremely well-acted, wonderfully directed movie this is a well done film i, found I love it that it's affecting. Find compliments i liked the <laughs> i liked walt's arc but there were certain things that i still didn't like about walt at the end and some things about the movie i didn't understand but i mean this is i i don't have like why is his family so freaking terrible <laughs> why, why are his children so awful? Well, because he was not a good father. Because he was not a good father. And I, <laughs> I, yeah. I, so, I thought that, that's, that the scenes of him doing his last day on Earth, you know, were interesting. Of like, I want a straight razor shave. I want a fitted suit. Yeah. I'm going to admit to my problems. I'm like, yep, that, that is, you know, that is what a lot of people would really, like if it was like, I am planning my last day on Earth. It's like, what are the things that I haven't done that I can conceivably achieve in the next 12 hours. Right. Well, he gets this. Well, he gets, it's his funeral suit. He's not just getting right, a suit. Right. For him, he's really yeah. saving a, in a suit so he can be buried. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think one thing I do like about this movie is the interesting dynamic that Walt has with uh, Father uh, Janovic, who is the, um, the Catholic priest who visits him quite a bit throughout the right. movie. And he's actually, got a face that is like one, a 12 year old. Yeah. And he says that where he says, I think you're an overeducated 27-year-old virgin, virgin who holds the hands of old ladies and promises them eternity. Yep. Yes, it promised them everlasting life because his late wife had a connection with this, with this priest. And um, I find the character very interesting because I feel like he himself has a story arc as well. Um, mm -hmm. And they almost have like a reverse story arc that really ends up meeting in a wonderful place at, toward the end of the movie, um, which I appreciate. And they do mention in this movie, like, this priest is working with the Hmong gangs and trying to find resolution. And he, that's how he finds out that Walt creates conflict initially with the gangs. Um, so there, there are things happening within this community. Because like, if the priest is working with the gangs, that means the gangs are working with the church in some capacity. And that means there is something happening in terms of relations, perhaps akin to, like, you know, Southside here in Chicago. Um, there are priests that do the same thing. Um, and that could show that there is like more people than just the white savior trying to fix this. And by all means, like he doesn't solve the gang issue of the neighborhood. All he does is free these kids of their terrible cousin. Boy, howdy. Yeah. <laughs> I did like, I did like the priest character um, quite a bit. I, I like that he was doing so much to, you know, he, I made this promise to your wife and so even though you are very persistent that I should not talk to you, you know, I'm still going to try. And he tried to meet him where Walt was at. You know, he went to the bar to find him. He had a drink with him. He, the, the priest, I never got this feeling of holier than thou attitude, uh, yeah. which, was, which was really nice. I actually, I really liked that character overall. Yeah. And I also think there's some really fun um, I'm scrolling through the quotes page on IMDb because I think there are some great lines in this movie, albeit some very clunky lines. 
and about half of it is just racism. It's just racism. <laughs> racist but, terms. But there's some really great ones, you know, like where, where Tao is like, you should quit that. Those things are bad for you. And Walt is smoking. And Walt's like, yeah, so is being in a gang. And like, there's some really great lines in this movie that Clint Eastwood delivers with the signature gruffness and aggression that he just perpetually exudes. Um, and, and I think I find him such an interesting actor and interesting director. I almost find him interesting in the same way I find Mel Gibson interesting as a director in the sense that like they make really odd projects that tend to kind of offend me at times, but I still want to see what they do. Um, and actually, just so you guys know, I did almost do a Mel Gibson movie. I almost brought us to a different conservative director. Which which movie? I was considering Hacksaw Ridge because I thought that oh. was really Yeah, that's movie's supposed to be great. No, uh, um, I've heard the opposite. <laughs> well, I, I should say I've heard mixed things where some people say it's great, but there's also a lot of extreme bloody violence. It's, it's overly bloody, and the ways Vince Vaughn has blood Vince associated. Vaughn's in that movie? Yes. Yes, he is an angry drill sergeant. Um, I digress. Uh, but I do find I guys like this interesting Vaughn, because... Brawl in cell block 99. <laughs> right. Um, but I feel like directors like this, and maybe, maybe it's their politics, like those are both you know, outspokenly conservative directors. Maybe it's the way... I don't know what it is about them, but I, they kind of stand on the outskirts of Hollywood in many ways. Um, and I find these projects very interesting as a result of that. Um, and to kind of move on to more discussion topics, why does no one protest Walt's racist insults? Not even the priest. This is from Nicole. Is this just like, is this one of those things where it's like you're with your grandpa? He says something that's about 50 years too late and you're like, oh, you're not going to change his mind at this point. Uh, yeah. Maybe from his kids, but I well, I would have a devil. hard time believing that no one who overhears him saying these things is protesting. Not one person says a thing. Not even Sue, who I think of as like the most, uh, you know, she's she's the most you know young person likely to be an activist doesn't take crap from people you know, accuses the, the three guys who accost her of being, you know, just another a-hole with a fetish for Yeah, with an ace fetish, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big flaw in the script that nobody ever calls him out on it. Nobody ever asks him nicely even to stop. You know, even when he gets to know this family and is grows close to them and is, you know, his version of affectionate, and his version of kind with them is never does he stop calling them by racist epithets. So it's just. No, that's uh, a good point. You think at some point a girl like Sue would say something, right? Yes. Like explains everything yes. else to him. And yes. like there are points in the movie where she explains to him, you know, um, you know, people who are being yelled at or feel like they're being yelled at that are Hmong have a tendency to just laugh at you. That's because they're getting nervous and embarrassed by it. And like she explains the the way that the, you know, the family shaman wants to read him. And these are all things she's introducing to him of their culture. 
but she's not being like, and also probably stop saying X, Y, and Z. No, that's, that's a very fair criticism. And you yeah. think she'd be the character to do it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you're supposed to get that like, oh, getting to know them as, you know, as human beings has changed his view on them, which is valid if you kind of call a little bit more attention to it, considering how blatantly racist he is yeah. for most of the movie. And, and they kind of even encourage it. Um, and, I, and I would call this more a fault to the script than anything else they have that moment of encouraging it when he's at the barber. And it's like, this is how men talk. Yeah. Well, and, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that's what exactly I wanted to get to next. The barber. Yes. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. And it's just, you know, if you have like, Oh, this is the environment where he talks like that. But yeah, it is odd that then there's no one else, the people that he's insulting who are not like, why do you say those things? I don't like it when you say those things to me. Like that could have also been a really strong moment of the story and in the script. And I think probably in one of the ways this film is lacking. And the, the scenes with the barber are also echo echoed by the scenes with um, the guy who runs the, you know, the general contracting place that um, he gets to have a job at. And I guess for some reason, if you are a blue-collar man that lives in Detroit, you just have to always have inherent racial racism about everyone, including other white people. Um, because like, they're like calling each other you know, dirty Italians, and they're calling you know, Polish, Polish people Pollocks, and like, really, like, like, it's everywhere in the movie. And Clint Eastwood's character kind of passes that off as like, this is how men talk. And I, I do take some issue with that in the movie because, quite frankly, I work with contractors, like, daily. Like, it's my job. Um, mm. My job is to work with people in the construction industry, in the engineering industry, and it's still a very manly, you know, industry. Um, but I don't know anybody in, in tangentially anyone connected to my company that talks like this right like the con the construction worker of old no, in my opinion no longer exists um that he is trying to show is a man's man in this movie um and that part feels very dated to me because i don't really think that exists anymore at least not like widespread maybe not widespread i would agree that there's probably been some there's, there's been some progress in that area, but he's, yeah, he's, it's, this is still the generation of blue collar guys. And I'm not saying that this is true of all blue collar guys by any means, but there are some blue collar guys who feel like this, they, they bond over their white supremacy, basically. I mean, it's, you know, hey, we've got it rough, you know, we're just hardworking guys, we're not rich and, you know, soft, as we're hardworking manly men, and, and we soft. might be kind of... <laughs> It might be kind of low on the totem pole in this world, but we're always going to be better than those guys. So what that unfortunately <laughs> reminds me of uh, is American History X, which is kind of exactly what happens where you have, uh, you know, Edward Norton's dad. You have, you know, a playback where he was a, like a fireman or like he was some sort of blue collar worker and he's passing on these ideals of like, yeah, you know, I'm, 
I work hard for a living, but I'm white. So that makes me better than these other people. And uh, guys, if you have not seen American History X. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> it's it's I've, I've heard. <laughs> well, I've heard. one, I, one I of the know. characters like this in the movie is played by the barber who we've referenced, John Carroll. John Carroll Lynch. Yeah. Uh, and I love him because I, yeah. I, I've always really enjoyed him in things like Fargo. I've liked him in, um, he was, oh yeah, he played Mac McDonald in uh, The Founder. Like, I think he's a great actor. He was in Zodiac. Guy. Have you guys, have, yes. I, have you guys seen The Invitation? Yes. No, it's oh, on. Dang it. I can't use that as a future new for two anyway. Yes. I, yes. And he's in that as well. He's he also, um, he was in Linda B and Jackie. That's what he was LBJ in. Um, oh. Okay. But I really enjoy him as an actor because I feel like he has quite a bit of range. Because I did too, but unfortunately, this role. <laughs> but he's in the. He, you see them in this movie, and he plays the stereotypical man's man, like barber. Right? You go in there to talk crap. Like that's what it is. Okay. And, and, Hold yeah. up. Okay. I I go to barbers. I wonder if you're like, going to say the same thing I do. I le- I legit go to barbers. And yeah, not the same guys every single time. You know what we talk about when we go in there? Mostly nothing. Sometimes sports stuff. Sometimes, <laughs> boy, the weather's crazy. It is not like <laughs> black people, right? Like that is <laughs> not what is happening in barber shops. No, in but you're fact, not. You're not going to, to the right barber. Not, 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 no, I'm not saying like oh, I should, you're right, not going right. to the right barber shop. It sounds no. like you are. I'm saying you're not going to the same barber shop that this guy is, where he's been going and seeing the same like equally like old fashioned barber for you no. know. Actually, the barbershop I went years. to for the longest time was mostly Chinese people cutting the hair and doing all that, and uh, mostly Chinese people from China. So there was kind of a language barrier that led to not a lot of talking, but boy, were those haircuts cheap and fast. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. You know, I'm, maybe it's because I like John Carroll Lynch so much as an actor that I like don't want to believe that he's just like Walt. Right. And that it's because he's in a service industry and he's looking for a good tip that he just kind of rolls with it. And he understands that Walt is being his, his casual racism doesn't, this is going to sound really weird. doesn't carry any malice. Are we building an entire backstory for this character? That I am. Yes, we are. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to workshop this. We're going to workshop his whole... So you're saying like anyone else comes in and he's like, hello, how are you, sir, today? Would I actually, I believe yes. that. I believe that entirely, yep. That's yeah. amazing. That, I, they I, actually I, do show you with Tao that you never immediately approach a man with okay. racism. And that's, and that's one thing. All right, I don't want to say that like I have friends that I get super racist with, but I do have friends where it's like, <laughs> where we say things to like one another, where it was like other people around us would be like, why would you say that to another human being? (laughs) And it's it's because we're friends. Uh, And that does kind of play into the whole fact of like, yeah, like you, there's a, there's sort of this respect between one another where they have the whole thing. Like you can't just bust into someone's business and start saying horrible things. You have to be like, Hey man, how you doing? How are you? Before like the friendliness kind of picks up. And yeah. in this case, 
It's horrible racism. Yeah, we're I'm, only horrible I, to each other because we're buds. Because we're buds, which I would just want to reiterate, <laughs> I do not say horribly racist things to my friends. Let's be clear. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I totally hear where you guys are coming from with this. And I guess what I was getting at in regard to, um, you know, this performance is that, like, you see um, John Carroll Lynch playing the sad, dejected, used Mac McDonald in The Founder. Um, if you've never seen The Founder, well worth yep. seeing. Uh, and then you see him in this huge contrast, just like everything else he's in. I love him. Um, but yeah, let's let's turn it back to this oh, movie. Wait, wait okay, okay. Yes, I was going to say, look, while we're still on this scene, um, sure. I think it's important to bring up. This is this is something, again, um, B. Vang, who plays Tao, has, has since, you know, since this movie has come out, has been... Has, has brought forward some criticism of it um, and about how things were on set. Um, and he said that this was the scene that made him the most uncomfortable, where he was called upon to say, you know, to use slurs and be insulting and um, in the attempt to be manly. And that it, in the end, he only got himself through it by saying, well, you know, it's just a script. It's not... Yeah. You being a horrible person in reality. Um, this is, yeah, this scene ultimately, I think, could have been changed in so many ways. Yeah, yeah I think it ways could to have. Make him a man other than teaching him casual racism. Well, um, yeah, I, but I mean, he was he was so uncomfortable that, with this that he later made a parody of it. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Really? Uh, it's called, I believe, it's called uh, Dow Does Walt. Well, um, I, Slack. I didn't get a chance right. to see it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 a little strange. I mean, it's still it's pretty amateurish. It's like it's a little student short. Um it's not funny, but I'm not sure it's intended to be. Um uh, and it's basically just reversing the roles mm-hmm. where, you know, he brings the the Walt type character in as like a young Walt type character, and he's the old Asian man bringing him to his gay Asian barber, and they're, you know, they're going back and forth, and these insults about white people and in stereotypes about Asian people, and like just, and it's it's very strange, and it's very you know, it's very clear the point that he's making is that there is that in using this language there's still power to it even if you're showing uh, how over the top it is even if right you know the reason that walt and his barber in grand torino are are like this you know this is their banter this is their you know the fact that it's that they're playing with each other using this and that it's so casual for them. Yes, it tells you about their characters in the movie, but it's still, in and of itself, can still be hurtful. Yeah. I, I, I think this is a, a movie that got really far in its initial script. You know, Clint Eastwood did not really make many changes except for the changing the location. Right. I think this movie had maybe passed through a little bit more revising and some changes had been made to the script. It could be a lot 
stronger. Yeah, if they'd taken some of the the feedback, uh, Bivan claims that they, they tried to give him feedback about the script and ask if they could tweak some things. And while Eastwood claims he did let... Um, he yep, did let them, them improvise. Improvise. They claim that for the most part, that was not the case. That they were told to stick to the script. Well, they they improvised when it come when it came to you know speaking in a foreign yeah, like, like a language of conversations not. in the yeah. house. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's this is a very valid criticism of the movie. And there's two other things I wanted to touch on before we close out the program. Um, oh, there's so much more to talk about, though. Yeah, <laughs> put it in the docket so I know that. <laughs> Add more. Um, but uh, I'd like to also talk about the the title, the catalyst of this movie, is Grand the Grand Torino Car. Mm. And I think that I, I I think I'd be remiss if we went this whole movie and didn't talk about the car because uh, is it too on the nose that this that this movie of the great old American man that his most prized possession and the catalyst for everything that happens is an American-made car that he put the steering column into while he was in the Ford factory assembly line? Um, I thought... I it could be more on the nose than that. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like it personally. I, I've always just thought, like, it's kind of funny that it's just... It's so, like, quintessentially American to me. That, well, like, yeah. The car... Of course yeah. it is. Car. I mean, like what this all happens for the car? An ugly ass muscle car. <laughs> what? What else? What else are you gonna call this movie? Racist old white guy. <laughs> like the the you know title titles for movies just don't have a lot of weight. I think we sometimes give them too much weight. You know, love in the time of cholera, uh, Deadpool. You know, there's times where it just makes sense because, like, that's the character. And other times where it's like, whatever. You know, it's just you needed something to put on the marquee. Gran Torino, it, it's fine. I think it plays a big enough part in the film that it's not out of left field. It, you know, if you call this movie PBR, then I would have issues with it. <laughs> PBR. Oh, my God. It's like drinking water. It's like drinking bad-tasting beer water. Look, man, he's old. He doesn't have refined tastes. Well, that's right. And he's man. He's manly man. He doesn't drink, you know, frou-frou, overly feminized men's beers that actually taste good. Which I loved. I love that the priest ordered a gin and tonic, and I'm like, I'm with you, priest. Oh, gin you is not one. my friend. Uh, <laughs> gin is where it's at. Yeah, the, the priest is, is refreshing throughout this movie to me. And then another element I very quickly wanted to talk about is the closing of this movie is where uh, he, he screws his family, or like arguably rightfully so. They're terrible people. They are um, awful. That's, by giving his, his home to the church and giving his car to Tao. And then the end of the movie is Tao driving in the Gran Torino Daisy in the passenger seat while he drives along the coast and Clint Eastwood sings to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Real quick before that, I do want to talk about the family stuff because I actually liked how that was handled a lot in this film. Yeah. Where you, you had the son <clears throat> quote unquote, reach out to the dad, but really it was just to ask for like tickets. And then by the time like the dad reached out, tried to talk to the son, it was like, Oh, well I'm real busy here. I can't talk. And there's kind of that pause moment after he hung up where he was like, 
I think my dad was trying to talk to me. (laughs) But he's like so selfish. Starts playing. Yeah, but he's so selfish that he's not going to like return the call. Uh, Well, I mean, to be fair, it's probably been years of him trying to connect and Walt just sort of brushing him off. Yeah, and then his... But see, I don't buy that though because in this movie... You get like the you get the point of like oh we're trying to connect with our father, but like are they? Because every single time they connect with well, their not father, anymore. something selfish, um, and and I think that I think part of that is probably because they maybe didn't have a great upbringing from Walt, but at the same time, it, like maybe they had a good mom. Like I don't know, his he speaks highly of her in this movie. She, sure, uh, Dorothy was a real nice peach. Yeah, yeah, Dorothy was a real peach. Um, so I I don't know I don't buy the whole like they were groomed to be like distant to their father. Because, uh, like, uh, sure. He's not a great dad, but when you're like, when like, come on the way they treat him and this movie and the way that they let their children treat him. Like, yeah, that's horrible. Is, yeah. The, the children in this movie, the children are horrible. The, the sons I can yeah, understand children. because, <laughs> because, you know, they spent their whole life with a father who is very obviously emotionally distant and, you know, probably never really talk to them instead of like being like, ah, you're a man, be a man, you know, but the, the daughter who like the, 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 the daughter-in-law who thinks like, well, we should talk him out of the house so we can get it and rolls her eyes when it's left to the church. Uh, and then the daughter who's like, I'm going to be left the car. Cause I mentioned the car to him one time. And the, um, and the and the mother's like like nudging her like this yeah. is fine, which is like which is hard for me because that's that's Dreama Walker who was in a show that I love called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three. Uh, it's so weird to see her play what is essentially a bitch in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're 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 all horrible, awful people. And I, it was kind of a nice little moment at the end, like yeah, you got nothing in the will, take that. Also, are you allowed to write a will like that? Can, can people yeah. write in any attorneys in the audience? And are you allowed to just make your lawyer spout racial slurs to your family after uh, you have passed? Your executor is supposed to read the will exactly as it's written. Yep. They, they encourage you when you're making it to avoid using certain language. But Are you allowed but to write it that, that like loosely, though? Like I thought it was just I, like I've I've always been under the impression, and as someone who has you know experienced this recently, uh, with a passing in the family, of like it's very straightforward. It's like this, 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 and he was and it, it, his sounds like he just like dictated it while like fixing a lawnmower. That's <laughs> entirely <laughs> possible. Now I've I've made a will using like a you know a guide template, and they they often the guide tells you basically, you know, your will is a legal instrument and you should make it as plain and straightforward as possible. And if you have, you know, emotional things to say to people, write it in separate letters. Oh, yeah, separate I'm just worried that, that his horrible family is just going to end up taking Tao to probate and like, <laughs> <laughs> and like Tao's just going to get screwed out of this car. Like that's hey. what I'm worried about. They're going to test this will on poor Tao. No, no. As long as Tao does not modify the car, according to the outlines in the will, he should be fine. None yep. of those spoilers. <laughs> Ooh. Right. 
And uh, just like while we're here, I don't have a will, but while we're on the subject, I leave everything to Topanga. <laughs> Brett and Nicole can fight over my microphone. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, well, as we start to wrap the show down. We haven't even talked about him singing over the credits. Oh, yeah. let's. Okay, that, that'll be our last thing here. <laughs> and me, is Let's talk about him singing over the credits. It and was something. It's, it, it's, it's not that bad. It's not great. It's not that bad. No, I mean, but he's, he's getting up there and his voice just doesn't have the support that it used to. You know, if you want to listen to Clint Eastwood sing very pleasant jazz, I would recommend the soundtrack uh, to Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Um, he says a very nice rendition of Accentuate the Positive. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just he, he doesn't have the, the vocal support anymore yeah. to carry off singing. At the time this movie was coming out, it, he was 77 years old. Yeah. And even like in this film, there's times where I'm like, is he just going to devolve into... <laughs> no, it just morphs into Jamie Cullum. Is that it? Yeah, it morphs into Jamie Cullum in that last song, which caught me so off guard. <laughs> is it because I'm poised being a Dylan fan, that an old Dylan fan? That I'm just ready for in all of my singing that I can possibly, possibly. Do you also listen to Tom Waits? I do. I listen to both. (laughs) I do love Tom Waits. Uh, That might very well be true. But yeah, I mean, um, Clint Eastwood singing at the end of this, it's it's not awful. Um, It's not great. I will say though, I think the music in this movie is excellent because that that song he sings at the end, that's later then repeated in the credits, as David said. I think the soundtrack's really good, even though like the lyricism through most of the movie is la 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 la. And, like it actually like says that in the subtitles. Like while Tao is like rebuilding the home across the street, there's just like laws set to really atmospheric music. But yeah, it really but, works for me. Uh, yeah, there's a bit though that I don't like. It's like when he's when he's like hopping out of his car to go confront these are you talking Young about men misbehaving uh <laughs> like when he's rescuing the, the military the, drum roll the girl yes the military drum roll is out <laughs> rescuing the girl from the only three black people in detroit <laughs> yeah apparently and <laughs> or you know getting out of his car to go beat up like the one Hmong gang member left at home that day um you know there's this military drumbeat then, on the, on the yeah. soundtrack and it's just like, that's a bit much it's a yeah bit much. i can it's a bit much i also I, I do, do want to when he walks away from that confrontation says like they don't want to be your bro and i don't blame them <laughs> so that so that guy the guy the like uh the guy that he's like they don't want to be your bro that's his son Yes. Real, oh, yeah. The white guy who's that's, trying that's, to dress like a hip hop artist. Yep. That's Scott Eastwood. Who yeah. At, at that time was going under his mother's name because he was trying to avoid nepotism. Uh, so he, he was going by Scott Reeves at the time. And yeah, got that. I, when, as when I saw him in the movie, I'm like, he looks so familiar. I looked up later and I was like, oh, yeah, the guy who's trying to replace Paul Walker in the Fast and the Furious movies. I went to college with so many of those guys <laughs> and high school with so many of those guys. And I'm just like, 
let me go drop you off in the Cabrini Green neighborhood and you see how far you get dressed like that and talking like that. And so here's the <laughs> thing. Dopey, dopey I white can, kid. <laughs> here's the thing. I can tell uh, Nicole maybe hasn't been the Cabrini Green and as of late. Oh, I know. It's been gentrified um, all to hell. I since. know. The funny thing is that it's like, <laughs> like the, that you could dress like that now in Cabrini Green because they're making high-rise condos and trying to sell them for $4,000 a month. Yeah, I went to college um, back when like Candyman was like, this is the worst place on earth and <laughs> the perfect setting for a horror movie. Right. So, right. but yeah, I mean, I, the, ultimately, I wanted you guys to watch this movie because I thought, I, a, I thought it would be interesting to confront Nicole with an Eastwood movie. <laughs> I think I thought that would be. <laughs> well, like I said, I think he's a great director. I've uh, there are very few of his movies that I think are badly made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I really tend to like him as an actor. I don't always like what mm-hmm. he chooses to do, but I think he's very good at it. I, I loved when David said in our Slack, like, oh, he's already going for the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Look, five minutes in, he's getting, he's getting empty chairs to take upstairs. And I'm he like, I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love his snide remarks to his son where his son's like, I'll go get it for you, dad. And he's like, I need it now. I, yeah, I, I don't need it next week. <laughs> Good God, man. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think it's a... It's an interesting piece of Clint Eastwood's filmography. Um, it's perhaps the ultimate angry old man movie. Um, yeah. If, if anything. <laughs> but uh, why don't we go ahead and does anyone have any closing thoughts before we wrap down? No, I think it, this movie is on HBO Go. So I will say that if you have easy access to it, like HBO Go, give it a watch. Um, I think it's, yeah, it was, it was probably better than I thought it was going to be perfectly honest yeah i would i would say this is yeah this is better than i thought it was going to be it's a good movie just keep in mind that it's just like skimming the surface of Hmong culture please go do your own research about it because this gets you know this is only like skims the surface and some of it's not entirely accurate some of it's mixing up other asian cultures with Hmong culture and so you know do your do your own homework keep in mind it's only a movie is it Hmong uh, culture i i don't mean to interrupt you is it mom is it Hmong culture to wear um like traditional headwear and garb to a funeral just out no, of curiosity no apparently i looked that, look that up yeah that apparently was not yeah Okay, that's not good. <laughs> you can't just be like, oh, you guys are Asians. We're just going to put you in funny headwear in the funeral because that's what you're supposed to do. No, I, I think I get, it's meant I get, to be, you know, they want to portray it as them being super respectful. Yes, that's, that's what I got out of it as well. Death. But yeah. that's, not, that's not true of every Asian culture that they would dress like that for a funeral. Right, well, that's a good example of this then, I think, because the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, Hmong people must have, you know, a specific type of traditional garb for funerals. But no, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe some of them do. Probably not all cool, of them. Though. I do. I do really like Tao's shirt at the end of the movie. It's like pretty and interesting. It's like a very gorgeous. Like, <laughs> I, I dig it. I'm just saying that the aesthetic of it is pleasing. Just don't go buy one. <laughs> no, I'm not going to culturally appropriate Tao's <laughs> movie. No, I'm just saying it's a, it's a lovely piece of clothing. That's all. Um, no, I, no. I get it. 
Right on. Well, uh, let's go around the table. Where can people find everybody else? Nicole Davis, where are you online? Uh, you can find me watching over our Facebook page, facebook.com slash moviegoroundpod. You can find me on Twitter under at your word whiz. That's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. And I just joined Letterboxd. You can find me at Nicole underscore Davis. I haven't put up any reviews yet, but I'm hopeful that I will be uh, able to start doing that soon. I'd like to at least put up reviews of like all the movies we've covered on our shows. Yeah, that would be so cool. Right on. Very good. Well, find that. We'll put that. We'll start putting that in the show notes then once you have stuff up on it. And uh, David Luzader, where can people find you? You can find me on other podcasts, the Heck Yeah Comics podcast and the Brokebot Mountain podcast. You can also find me around the internet under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, you can find me there. Fair warning, as of this recording, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has been canceled and most of my tweets (gasps) will just be about that. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Well, find me on Twitter at RiversRubin, online, brettdavidstewart.com. You can also follow Movie Go Round on Twitter, twitter.com slash moviegoroundpod. Email the show, moviegoround at tiltingwindmillstudios.com. We'd love to hear from you or connect with us on any of the social feeds. And finally... Rate us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podchaser, whatever it is you use. We would love to get more people into this wonderful movie-going community of ours. We are starting to keep uh, probably further track of numbers than we ever did in the past last year and a half of um, podcasting with the three of us. And it's great to see that slowly rising episode after episode. And that's because of you guys and because of the wonderful interactions we have on social media and you sharing the show with your friends and family. So please do that. We really appreciate it. That'll do it for myself, for David and Nicole. We will be back next week with Netflix Roulette for The Gift.